today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. You're trying to honor God at work and some of the people in your office don't like it. You say, hey, listen, you clock in when you really come and really go and you really work hard the whole time, it's gonna make the rest of us look bad. Maybe you're, you're on a college campus or in some other learning context and your Christian faith is just getting hammered. Maybe your family members or friends don't like you to try to pray before the big Thanksgiving meal. Or maybe you just feel increasingly isolated in the culture and country around you. Well, this book is going to encourage us. Open God, oh my soul. He is strong and he is strong to save. Open God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Have you ever been mistreated and persecuted simply because you're a Christian? Today, Pastor Ricky will be explaining that there's absolutely nothing abnormal about being persecuted for your faith in Jesus. The Lord himself said that if the world hated him first, the world will hate you as well. No servant is greater than his master. If the world persecuted him, the world will persecute his followers. If you're discouraged, just remember that you have the ultimate hope of salvation and eternity with the Lord. Well, let's join Pastor Ricky for part one of his message entitled, Against the World, For the World. First Peter was, as its name suggests, written by the Apostle Peter, the, the kind of the, the most vocal and outspoken of all the apostles, the first in, last out, talking the loudest kind of guy. He was the apostle who later abandoned Jesus in his hour of need, denied him only to be restored by Jesus and return to his task as an apostle. So at the time of this letter, he's likely in Rome. This is kind of toward the end of his ministry, writing to a particular region in Turkey, in Asia Minor, that he likely had himself evangelized. So he'd probably been in that region, kind of gone to Rome and is writing back into that region. Now, um, you have to understand this. He's writing also during the reign, very likely the reign of Nero. If you know anything about Nero, he's the guy that was playing music while he set a fire to burn down his own capital city. He was crazy. Uh, if you couldn't pick it up from the context there. He also was one of the greatest persecutors in the first century of Christians. But at the time of this writing, persecution had not fully begun in earnest. There were rumblings of persecution coming. And so Peter, knowing that these people are facing societal pressure, knowing that they are kind of increasingly being looked down on by business people, by people in their culture, he writes to encourage the church. And he writes mainly on this question. How should we as Christians in the church relate to the world outside the church? How do we in here relate to people out there? Uh, that world out there is often filled with low-level societal pressure against us, with suffering, with hardship. Over the years, Christians have argued for various kind of models of engaging the world around us. There's kind of the fight the world model. Um, that it's us versus them, that we're going to win against them. That in order for us to win, they lose, and we take back kind of the government and the cultural centers. There's the model of, well, let's join the world. Um, 
Let's kind of say, listen, we don't need to be totally exclusive with our truth claims here. We can just embrace all faiths. We can embrace all aspects of society. We'll show the world that we can get along and that we're not backward people. There's the idea of, well, let's compartmentalize our faith in the world. So in other words, I have my private faith, but when I go out there, I kind of am like everybody else. So my faith is my faith in here and on Sunday morning, but out there, well, I'm pretty much just like the world. It doesn't change how I do business or how I uh, view relationships or how I vote or anything. Um, There's also a model of separation from the world where you look at the world and you think, okay, you know what? We're done. We're just going to withdraw. This is where you get monasticism. This is where you get um, people kind of trying to, you know, move to a remote part of the, uh, the U.S. and form kind of their own self-governing society away from the bad people in the world. But Peter rejects all of these models of the church relating to the world. Peter doesn't tell the church to withdraw from the world. Um, Rather, he tells them to honor Christ in the middle of the world they find themselves. Peter does not tell the church to compartmentalize their faith, but shows how their faith shapes everything from their marital relationships to their business to the way that they relate to the government. Peter doesn't let the church sit back and sort of think, okay, well, listen, it's hard out there. It's rough. We're just going to sit here and wait for Jesus. He says, no, go. You have a calling. You have a mission. Get in there. But maybe for you, this question of kind of relating to the world is a lot more personal. Maybe there are people, maybe you've recently become a Christian, and you're trying to honor God at work, and some of the people in your office don't like it. You say, hey, listen, you clock in when you really come and really go, and you really work hard the whole time, it's going to make the rest of us look bad. Maybe you're, you're on a college campus or in some other learning context, and your Christian faith is just getting hammered. Maybe your family members or friends don't like you to try to pray before the big Thanksgiving meal, or maybe you just feel increasingly isolated in the culture and country around you. Well, this book is going to encourage us today. And so we're going to be taking the first two verses of this book and exploring them this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says this, and this is God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Well, maybe to you, you think, well, this is weird that we're going to do a whole sermon on literally an introduction, right? Like if you write a letter, uh, dear so-and-so, you don't typically spend a ton of time on the dear and so-and-so, right? Uh, Or to whom it may concern. You spend about a half second on that and you get into the body of the letter. But Peter is different. Peter is a pastor and he wants to pastor people through his letter. He, he probably knows these folks and he knows their situation. He knows their discouragement. And so what he's doing is from the very first words of the letter, he means to pastor and encourage them. We have one big idea this morning. It's simple and we're going to be looking at it in a few different parts. The big idea is this. The world is against us, but God is for us and we are for the world. 
When it comes to relating to the world, the world is against us, but, Peter says, God is for us, and we are for the world. And we're going to look at specifically what Peter says about our identity, who he says these people are. So this first section this morning is going to be our identity and its contradiction. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. What does that mean, elect exiles? Well, we're going to take the exiles part first. The word exile means a resident alien, a sojourner. The image here is a group of exiles who are away from their country, away from their home. They're cut off from their land. There's pressure against them. They feel like they don't belong. Uh, my, my grandfather uh, was born in Guadalajara and immigrated as a boy to the United States, to California. And he told stories of immigrating to a particular part of California where he was one of only two Hispanic students in the entire elementary school that he landed in. And the other Hispanic student claimed to be Italian. And so, of course, my grandfather, if you knew him, it was his personality. He would walk around making fun of him in Spanish because he knew the guy could understand it. And the guy pretended like he's like, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what you're saying, you know. My grandfather told stories of how the kids would exclude him on the playground because he didn't understand the rules of what to do, how he often got in fights, how he was often made fun of, how he felt alone with only his family in this totally new place. That's what Peter is saying is true of the church here. They are exiles. They're far from their home and they feel it. But here's the hard thing about these people and their situation. They didn't move to a new place. The gospel, probably in the form of Peter preaching, came to them. They came to faith. And as they begin following Jesus, they became strangers in their own cities. As they began to change their pattern of worship and change the way they related to their spouse and change the way that they related to the culture around them, the way they related to sin around them, the people in their cities increasingly looked at them strangely increasingly pushed them to the margins, increasingly put pressure on them to conform. They became exiles in their own cities. Now, maybe you think, okay, well, that's them, but that's not us, right? We, we live in America, right? America. Well, friends, what is true for us theologically is becoming true for us practically. A 2009 Newsweek magazine proclaimed on its cover the, quote, rise and fall of Christian America. Um, in the article, Albert Moeller, president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, in other words, one of the guys who is an evangelical Christian, says this, clearly there is a new narrative, a post-Christian narrative that is animating large portions of this society, meaning that, that, that the way that our society sees itself and lives its life is increasingly becoming less and less and less and less Christian. The number of adults who do not attend church has nearly, listen to this, nearly doubled since 1991. The number of adults who do not attend church has nearly doubled. So all the people that didn't attend church before 1991 have doubled, I'm sure by now, since this was written a few years ago. Over 3,500 United States churches close their doors every year. 
the attendance of more than 80% of the remaining churches is either plateaued or declining, meaning only 20% of all churches in the United States have any level of growth. Most are plateaued or declining. Now, Christianity, which used to be kind of at the center and the hub of society, is being increasingly pushed to the margins of society from a kind of a sociological perspective. Now, listen, it's not all bad news. People are still getting saved. Churches are still getting planted. But what happened, what is, is happening is that Christendom is dying. Christendom, meaning that tight alignment between the church and the state and the culture that was predominant in Europe and in early America, that Christendom is dying. Christianity is not dying, but Christendom is. Essentially, what is occurring is that the cultural Christianity of the people who once attended church under societal pressure or because it was the dominant culture, that is dying. There is no more societal pressure to come here on Sunday or somewhere else on Sunday. No one's going to think any less of you. Maybe they'll think of you more of you. And the book of 1 Peter is written to us today, 2015, in the United States of America. See, sometimes those of us who live in America can think, okay, good, we finally found a great country where we're going to be home. Peter says, no, we'll never be home here. We think, okay, you know what our mission is as Christians? Our mission is to kind of, quote, unquote, take back our country, whatever that means. And Peter says, friends, we, we are exiles. This world is not our home. Maybe you look out and you think, man, I'm so discouraged about what is happening in the world today. Peter says, friends, we're exiles. This world is not our home. And this helps us, even on a personal level, just set our expectations. It resets our expectations because, you know, we can think things like, well, I can't believe that when I try to do the right thing at work, people actually oppose me. Brother or sister, you're in exile. What you do may seem strange. Or you think, I can't believe that in my family, my extended family, people don't like me spending so much time at church. Why would they think that? Friend, what you do may seem strange. One of the things that we're going to be exploring in this series is how we, right now, in American culture, should relate to the world around us. And we're going to get much more into this, but I'm touching on this because I think we need to get more comfortable, both theologically and practically, with being exiles in our culture. It's true theologically, in the sense that we should not be looking to this place to be our home, but it's becoming more true practically. And so that raises all kinds of questions like, how do we evangelize people? How do we live our lives? How do we interact with society and culture? That's, that's what we're going to be getting into in, this next, in these next few months. But friend, what we have to remember is that our goal cannot be, it must not be to find ourselves at home here or to make ourselves at home here. We are exiles, but... We are elect exiles. We are in Christ elect, meaning chosen, meaning, meaning people chosen by God. The, the, this word is used over and over in the New Testament to mean the people God has chosen for salvation. Now, in the original language, maybe you're wondering, okay, maybe I'm a bit uncomfortable with this idea that God would, would somehow choose on any level people for salvation. That seems really strange to me. So give me like the Greek. What does that mean Sort of, I understand the English translation, but what's like, what's like the real meaning? Well, friend, 
consulted a number of commentaries. The real meaning is elect, okay? I don't have any better news for you, if that makes you uncomfortable. Chosen, that's the word. That's what it means. Now, I want to make a qualification, though, here. Um, When it comes to talking about God's sovereignty over salvation, we need to be careful to talk about it the way the Bible talks about it and for the reasons the Bible talks about it, okay? God does not say, you are elect so that we can be arrogant. He doesn't say, well, you're elect, so don't share the gospel with anybody. It's never used as a means of keeping anyone outside of Christ who wants to believe in Christ and be saved. Remember why Peter would start off with such, to us, maybe a controversial word, okay? Right? I mean, literally, it's like the first theological thing he says, elect, right? Why would he say that? Remember this. The people he's writing to are facing increasing opposition from their local governments. Their emperor was Nero, and he was increasingly beginning to make noise about the problem in society being these Christians. And their choice to believe in Christ left them feeling exposed and alone. They were mocked. They were discriminated against. They were rejected. And so Peter, the first thing he says to them is this, friends, you may be rejected by the world, but you are chosen by God. Hold on. Don't lose heart. A theologian once illustrated the the dilemma of uh, man's responsibility and God's sovereignty this way. When we see the door of salvation, what was held out to us over the door of salvation in kind of in the world as we see the door of salvation laid out in scripture, what's written over the door is Revelation 22, whoever would take of the water of life, let him enter. In other words, it is an open invitation to the world. And yet... Once you walk through the door of salvation, you turn and expect to see the same thing written there, but you don't. Instead, what's written on the back of the door that you have just walked through is this, Ephesians 1, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And so you think, well, was that not a real offer to the world? No, yes, it was. But those who walk through the door, are they indeed chosen by God before the foundation of the world? Yes, they are. Here's what we discover. We discover that while we thought, and we did in some sense choose God, we see that God chose us, that he loved us, that it was no accident that we walked through the door. We didn't stumble through the door. Like, oh, bonk, I guess I'll walk through this. No, the Lord drew us. That's what the scripture says. The ESV study Bible, which I just love as a study Bible, I read a number of commentaries on this verse. This is like my favorite comment, okay? It says this. This does not merely refer to to God's foreknowing that they would belong to him, but also means that he has, listen to this, set his covenantal affection upon them in advance for ordaining that they would belong to him. In other words, in the middle of a culture that has rejected us, that has turned away from us, in the middle of the culture where they, these people that Peter is writing to become strangers in their own land, what Peter says to them is, listen, when you're tempted to be discouraged, remember God has set his covenantal love on you. You're not alone. You know, when I, up until I was 12, um, I was good at basketball because I grew this tall between like ages 10 to 12, right? I was like this tall. So 
At 11 or 12, I'm a decent forward, okay? And I know this because I've kind of walked by schoolyards and like judged, yeah, probably middle school is where I want to be playing basketball. And, and so I remember I was good. I, was on a, I played at the YMCA. I was good. I'd go down to the post. I knew how to block people out. I knew how to make layups. It was, I, I would get picked first a lot. So, so when we would have like games with people, uh, it would be like, yeah, this person, this person. And then Ricky, I'd be like in the first mix. But then something happened. And that thing was called, I stopped growing. And the other thing that had happened was, since I'd been playing a forward, I never learned to really dribble the ball. You don't have to dribble the ball when you're a forward. You just, they just throw it to you and you just put it in, right? So what happened over the course of what felt like one year is I went from getting picked first all the time, second, third, okay, to dropping dramatically to where now I'm like trying to not be one of the last chosen, right? So I had like one move that I would like do when they were picking teams. You know, I'd like do the, the back and forth between the, the, yeah, you know, that thing. You know, like, yeah, I could do that. I could do that. And like a vain attempt to try to move up the ranking of who got picked. And listen, I, I joke about it now, but man, it stinks to get picked last, doesn't it? I mean, okay, I just feel, I need to feel some solidarity here. Could you raise your hand if you've ever been picked last for something? Okay. Okay, you guys at least know what I'm talking about. All right. It feels terrible. I mean, the suspense is building toward the end. And, it, and you go from maybe I'll get a good ranking to maybe I'll be in the middle of the pack to at the end just praying, let me not be picked last. And I remember, though, when I was like, you know, 15, 16, and we were playing basketball with some guys uh, that, that they were good guys. And so the two team captains were guys that really had some character that weren't just all about winning. And I remember in surprise... As we lined up and the two guys started picking people, I remember, I think this was like the only time that it happened from age 12 onward, the guy said, I pick Ricky first, first, right? And at some level I knew, right, it's not because I'm really good, the guy's being nice. But I'll say this, it felt good to walk out first. <laughs> it really did, you know? And, and I remember that moment, I remember the pain of being chosen last and the joy of being chosen first. And what Peter is saying is on a cosmic scale, we're not talking about basketball, we're talking about the people that God has chosen to set his covenantal affection on from before the foundation of the world. If you are a Christian, hear this, friend. God picked you. Why? wasn't anything to commend us to the Lord. And yet the Lord freely of his own volition chose to set his covenantal affection on us. That is insane. Here's what I want you to hear. If you are in Christ, God wants you. God did not just kind of put out a casting call and see who showed up and shrugged. I guess these are the Christians. Now, friend, the Lord chose to set his love on you. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. The book of 1 Peter is one of those hard-hitting books in the Bible intended to shake us to the core. In this series, Pastor Ricky will be sharing messages entitled The Counter-Cultural Christian Community and The Time is Short and many more. Each one of these messages will bring insight into specific areas in the Christian life. 
You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Elcanta of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website at www.betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, the number to call is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study, fellowship, and prayer. For more information, including driving directions, visit betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. Music heard here on Better News Radio is courtesy of Sovereign Grace Music. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from his series in the book of 1 Peter next time on Better News Radio.